Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. While working as a park ranger, I had an experience with the supernatural. It was a scary ordeal, I must confess. A group of hikers had gotten lost in the woods, and my fellow rangers and I had decided to scout out the area. We got the general direction from the report that was made by their own families. Heading off in the direction, we drove until we got to the entrance of the woods, where they at last made contact with their families, according to the report. We parked the car just outside the woods and proceeded to search for them. We had searched for a better part of the day without anything to show for it. It was late in the evening already, and we had walked deep into the woods. I was feeling uneasy with every step we took. It was as if there was a terrifying monster hidden within the woods. A sense of terror suddenly engulfed me, making me break out in cold sweat. I glanced at my colleague who seemed to have sensed nothing as his expression was as usual. I could not put my finger on it, but something eerie was happening in the woods. Suddenly, we began seeing strange markings, words written in an unknown language, different depictions on trees. 
What was strange was the fact that my colleague, for some reason, was unaware of everything. It was like he was in another dimension, detached from his surroundings. It was in that moment that it hit me, a dimension. Had he mistakenly stepped into a dimensional portal? Was that how the hikers had gotten lost? Had they stepped into it as well? If they had, that would explain the disappearance and why we were unable to find traces of them. It was, of course, a mind-blowing theory, so I wanted to test it out. I moved closer to my colleague, attempted to touch him, but my hands went right through him like he did not exist. I could see him, but couldn't touch him. I called out his name, hoping to get his attention and alert him to the danger we were in. I called out his name several more times, even radioed him, yet he continued walking deeper into the woods like a puppet on its string, being pulled. After my futile attempts, I proceeded to search for the missing party on my own. I came across so many skeletons and bones piled up into a small mountain. At this point, the terror in my heart had reached its peak. I resisted the urge to scream. I beat a hasty retreat and stepped on numerous bones in the process. What scared me was that the bones did not let out the usual crunch sound after being stepped on. Rather, they simply crumbled into dust. I could not help but wonder how long these bones had been buried there. This took my mind to the missing hikers. Were they already bones, or were they alive like me? Terrified and hopeless, I was at my wit's end already, and I could not help but feel despair. I glanced at my wristwatch to check the time, but what I saw shocked me. Time moves faster here. I had barely spent two hours in the woods, yet my wristwatch was displaying a date that was two days ahead. Two hours equal two days here. At this rate, my lifespan would run out before whatever was lurking around would kill me. At this point, all I had in my mind was how to escape this hellhole that I had somehow gotten myself into. All thoughts of searching and rescuing the lost hikers did not cross my mind. At this point, all I could think of was how to get out of my situation. My mind was in chaos, disoriented, and I could not think straight. Just when I thought things could not get any worse, I began hearing voices, and the feeling of being stalked overwhelmed me. I could feel something or someone watching me, and the thought of that made me panic. There was nothing scarier than the unknown, especially in a place such as this. I kept on walking, and my nerves were taut and on edge, ready to react to any situation. I moved on without a sense of direction, hoping to luckily find an exit or something. Glancing at my wristwatch, I saw to my utter dismay that I had spent close to a week now trapped in this place. While I was aware that time was moving faster, things would be different as long as I found an exit. It did nothing to comfort me. I had no idea when I would find an exit out of this dimension. By the time I had spent a couple of months, I threw a stroke of luck. I was able to find a way out. The moment I stepped out, my walkie-talkie buzzed incessantly. People had been trying to reach me and even my colleague. I radioed my colleague, but got no reply. I knew he was still trapped in there, and there was no hope for him to get out. He was not even aware. My story caused a sensation, and I was rushed to the hospital for tests and examinations. The doctor confirmed that my cells had gone through rapid aging, my cells had grown older than they should have. I would have to be placed on a special diet to prolong my lifespan. A few weeks later, 
the missing hikers were found. However, all of them had lost their youthful appearance, which further boosted the authenticity of my story. Despite getting intensive medical care, all hikers died mysteriously afterwards. My colleague disappeared, and I was told to keep quiet. The entire case was shut down before the press could even get out, and no public knowledge ever became aware. I spent about six months last year essentially volunteering on organic farms in exchange for room and board. One of the farms I stayed at was actually an off-the-grid homestead near Mount Hood, Oregon, populated by shamanic hippies who had some wild stories themselves. And while not remote, was deep enough in the mountains that we had no neighbors for at least 10 miles in every direction. Beautiful, forested land with an amazing view of Mount Hood from the garden. I was camping every night for about two weeks before weird things started happening. The first bizarre occurrence happened not to me, but to a fellow friend who I'll call Jay. Now, I am not particularly outdoorsy. I grew up in the woods in North Florida and spent my formative years getting lost in places I shouldn't be. But I don't have a great deal of camping experience and only the most basic survival skills. I am comfortable in the woods, but only until sunset. Jay, a true outdoorsman, had been a forest ranger in the Alaskan bush for two years prior and frequently went on weeks-long solo backpacking trips. He had shown up at the farm a few days after me and had set up camp over a mile further down the mountain than I had, which I initially thought was a dickish move but later came to appreciate because he played his harmonica at all hours and nobody needs to hear that shit. He was a slow-talking Minnesotan that favored all things logical. One morning, we met up for breakfast, and he asked me if I had heard all that screaming the night before. I hadn't. He told me that he had been laying in his tent with his headlamp on, reading a book when he heard a deep, rumbling scream just outside his tent. He turned his lamp off to listen more closely and realized that his entire tent was illuminated from the outside as if someone was aiming a floodlight at it. In the few seconds after he turned his headlamp off, two things happened in rapid succession. The screaming cut off as if someone had flipped a switch and the light from outside clicked off. He listened for footsteps, but heard nothing. After a few moments of silence, he turned his headlamp back on and left his tent to investigate because I guess he had never seen a horror movie in his whole goddamn life. He said that there was nothing in the clearing and no movement from the surrounding forest, even though he hadn't heard anything leave. And the scream had been very close to, if not within, his camp. Then he apparently shrugged to himself and went to sleep. Or maybe he passed out in fear and was too much of a man to admit it. He told me this over breakfast and I was horrified. He said he'd never heard an animal that sounded like that and could not explain the light except that maybe a hunter had found their way onto our land. But then where did they go? He listened for footsteps and heard nothing. He didn't seem worried, just a bit perturbed. It was very Minnesota of him. Everything was quiet for a few weeks after that incident. Jay left for another farm, and I remained in my old campsite, only about three quarters of a mile down from the main cabin. I was comfortable in my tent and no longer jerked awake at broken twigs or animals moving through the brush. I was very proud of myself look at me, an outdoors woman. Which was, of course, when the screaming started.
I was laying in my tent, just on the edge of sleep when it started. It was a deep, low roaring. Unlike any animal I knew to live in the mountains in that region. I consoled myself by saying it was an injured black bear, a messed up wolf, some kind of Lovecraftian mutant elk. Then from farther down the mountain, something else began screaming answering. The two whatever shrieked at each other for the better part of an hour. I laid in my tent, trying to psych myself up to hike back up to the main cabin, but couldn't quite commit. I laced up my boots and put on my headlamp in case I had to make a run for it. Eventually, the screaming stopped and I somehow managed to sleep. I woke up somewhere around 4 a.m. to something very large shuffling in the bush directly behind my tent. I laid in the dark and listened, absolutely terrified. Elk bear, it was too large. I could hear it ruffling branches of trees at least six feet off the ground. I heard it take a step, and then another. Bipedal. Human? Hunter? A hunter would never be as loud as this thing was, and I seriously doubt they would disturb an obvious campsite. Besides, in the month I'd been on the homestead at that point, I'd never heard a gunshot. I'd never seen anyone other than the people I was working with this far up the mountain, for that matter. I laid there, considering my options. It moved slowly, like it was picking through the bushes behind me. Which, in retrospect, of course it was, I'd camped right next to Wild Blackberry. I laid and listened and waited for a long time, almost until sunrise. It was moving slowly down the mountain. I laid in my tent long after the noise died out. When I finally managed to rally my nerves and leave my tent, the brush behind my tent was obviously disturbed. I thought about investigating, looking for prints, droppings, but decided I'd rather just repress the whole thing and deal with it when I was far, far away from these woods. At breakfast, I asked my host, Anne, about the screaming. She was delighted that I'd had a run-in with the forest people. She said that years ago when they'd moved onto the land, the forest people would get into their garden and make a mess of things, so she'd started leaving baskets of produce for them as a sign of goodwill. They'd left the garden alone since. Then I camped out for another week before it got too cold, and I moved into the main cabin, and never heard anything weird again. Pretty anticlimactic, but I guess real life usually is. Still very bizarre and interesting. As a lifelong student of all things esoteric, it verified a lot of suspicions I had. Mostly that weird shit happens in the woods. It's also pretty telling that everyone I met in the Cascades, granted most of them were of the shamanic, metaphysical persuasion had a Sasquatch story. There were a few other strange things about that place, but this story is by far the most interesting. Oregon is a weird, wonderful place. I'm a police officer, so I had just finished my shift and was on my current way home. I had stopped off at Wendy's to grab a quick bite to eat. It was right around midnight, so the drive through was pretty dead. As I went through the line, I saw this thing just standing there, watching me from across the parking lot. Not sure what it was, but it looked really tall and skinny, with gangly arms and legs hanging out. It gave me this very uneasy feeling and I watched it as it turned and walked away over to some shrubbery behind one of those big light poles by the parking lot exit and entrance. I try not to think too much of it and just drove away. 
There's just something about what I saw that still really spooked me. I feel very unsettled in my stomach just thinking back to it. As I was getting home from work, I was still shaken up. I could not stop thinking about what I saw, so I decided to show my son and daughter 8 and 10, who were getting ready for bed, about what had rattled me so badly. Not that I could actually show them, but at least tell them. My kids kind of just looked at me like I was crazy, but being kids, I found they would believe me a lot more than my wife would. Then they started telling me about Slenderman, which sounds like it might be what I saw. But I don't know any of these creepypasta characters kids watch nowadays. Could you kindly give me any information on what do you think I saw, and was this paranormal or not? I suppose it is expected that anybody who chooses to follow in the footsteps of smoking the bear would be possibly stuck in a few scary situations. That certainly was the case for me as I spent my nights working alongside park rangers on some of the most dangerous and terrifying trails in the States. It's not what one might think about being a ranger, though. We don't spend every day sitting around watching deer graves or children play in the playgrounds. Instead, what happens behind those locked gates is something more akin to horror movies than a picnic. If you manage to find your way through these wooded corridors without being eaten alive by some wild animal or eaten after by a bear, you could end up with some serious psychological damage. As my first summer as a ranger was coming to an end, I decided that I wanted to spend one last night in the woods alone. Not many rangers do that kind of thing anymore. But for me, it was sort of this cleansing ritual. My girlfriend had just broken up with me at the time, and I needed time to work through that emotional trauma. I knew there were other people who understood my pain. They would be likely willing to talk about the world ending when we got close enough in proximity. But every man needs his space from time to time, even if he is working within the confines of the law. To be honest, I wasn't really sure where to expect to be out there in the woods with no one else around. I had been alone quite a few times before, but never running into any real trouble. But this time, my mind was racing through the worst-case scenarios, and it almost felt like fate that I would get caught up in some kind of adventure by myself. Either I was going to find somebody who could relate to all my situations, or perhaps even fall for them as they helped me do it all. Anyway, I made it to the trailhead, and then Julian began hiking down towards it to my favorite spot at Lake Oroville State Park. The entire park is beautiful, located not far from Sacramento, but until you are actually standing deep within its borders, you can't truly grasp its beauty. I loved watching the weather rolling over the water, feeling the cold air as it rushed past my face and into my lungs, waking me up from a lazy afternoon nap. I felt at peace with myself every time I visited this spot, but not so much that other people bothered me. That's why this was almost certainly going to be a good night. I just crossed over one of the small bridges leading across the lake when I heard something rustling behind me, more similar to low growls than anything else, really. It sounded like something was stalking towards me, perhaps a bear. The only thing about these sounds that didn't scream bear were its frequency. They were more sporadic than I would have expected. My ears picked up this distinct sound of footsteps more than once, actually, as if somebody were running towards me directly through the thicket. Not wanting to meet with whatever was out there on my own terms, 
I scrambled for one of the trees and threw myself up into it to try and hide. Unfortunately, jumping back had cost me more time than I realized, and by the time that I reached around and grabbed hold of a branch, something hit me hard right in the side. You know, it feels like forever before I felt like landing against something soft and squishy. It wasn't exactly warm or inviting, so all of those other feelings must just be an illusion brought on by adrenaline. It only took a single moment for me to realize what had been happening, that I had been wrapped at the ankles, waist, shoulders, and neck in some kind of netting. I didn't know what exactly it was made out of, but it wasn't rope. It was some sort of binding material. My hands were then completely immobilized by entanglement as well, so there wasn't much I could do other than struggle against my bonds, a dead-end endeavor if there ever was one. Now, the first thing I noticed when I could finally see again is it was completely dark around me. All light coming from behind with only blackness ahead. Two dim lights appeared along the walls on either side of me and began approaching slowly. As my eyes now adjust, they were really more like natural animal eyes than any sort of man-made illusions. Even worse, I noticed that the blackness ahead of me wasn't really coming from a lack of light at all. Instead, there appeared to be some kind of organic wall blocking up my view, spreading out across the room to each side. I had no idea how large this place was, but it must have been bigger than what I could see. One behind me and another in front of me, they made themselves known. Moments later, footsteps. The noises were too far away for me to make out at first, but then I could hear they belonged to something, and more than two. Now, at this point, fear began gripping my heart as I lashed out against my binds once again, only to find that they hadn't been loosened in the slightest. More so, I thought, we'll get to that in a moment. I was hauled from my small prison by several sets of long, clawed hands that dragged over what appeared to be some kind of altar. It was much different from one of those sacrificial altars appearing to be used in ancient times for rituals. The ones to appease unworldly beings were said to lurk within the space between two worlds. But this one seemed more like a place where people got together for satanic worship or other unholy activities. These beings holding me lured me down onto it and began weaving this sort of flower all around me while chanting something in this ungodly language. I was so terrified, I swear I could have had a heart attack. I could make out all the words, but I had no idea what this thing was or what they were saying. The entire group of these things began chanting in unison as they surrounded me, continued weaving more of this plant material around me. It felt like forever before they finally got to the last one. All I could do was just lay there on my back, completely immobilized by flowers, while these creatures circled around me once and turned their backs towards me. The chance stopped abruptly, and every creature but one turned to leave. The remaining one tossed this mask aside, revealing a set of devilish features underneath it. What I had been dealing with looked like a combination of wild, feral human beings and kind of goblinish people. You know what, it kind of reminded me of the trolls or orcs in Lord of the Rings. Humanoid, terrifying looking, but also not human. That's what they reminded me of. It stood there, shaking its head from side to side slowly with its arms raised upward as I tried to break free. Again, I cannot reiterate how terrifying this was. I had no idea what was going to happen, 
and I was convinced in that moment I was about to be sacrificed by some sort of underground dwelling creatures. I was so scared beyond belief. Then this thing pulled its arm down after shaking its head and walked away. Completely immobilized, I tried my best to get out of my entrapment, and I believe it was the massive amounts of adrenaline exploding through my entire being that allowed me to break free. As I did though, I could hear these things coming back, and I knew I had to escape as quickly as I could. Once fully free, I started to run for it, escaping in just a matter of time, feeling my way out of this black, organic labyrinth. I don't know if I was in a cave or what this was, but as I reflect back on these memories, I had so much flooding through my mind. I feel like I kind of blacked out. I don't really know if I remember much after that, but I do distinctly remember collapsing on the ground and being found later on. I know that's probably very anticlimactic, but when the human body endures that kind of traumatic stress, it does things to the brain that aren't exactly normal. Anyway, I was treated at the hospital, ultimately taken back to the station and sent home. I didn't actually believe what I experienced at first. I thought it was some crude nightmare or horrible hallucination, but it wasn't until later that I realized it must have been something that really happened because I actually had binding marks around my ankles, my thighs, my waist, and my wrists. Those bindings were on tight, and I must have wiggled free enough that I loosened them. Like I said, whatever the bindings were made of, they were this crude rope vine material. I've never seen it before in my life. None of them really believed me though when I actually got a chance to describe what happened. They thought I was either making it up or just had a bad nightmare. As you can probably bet, this incident has been difficult for me. At any rate, this is my story and I hope you can get enjoyment from a real life traumatic event. I don't care if you believe me and if you choose to read this, which Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. By the way, you have permission to. I don't care if your readers believe me. I know there's something out there that lives underneath the ground, something that isn't quite human. God, I really want to tell this to people. So a few months ago, my girlfriend and I went to a public state park. It is not like a middle of nowhere, but still not many people around, and it was in the afternoon that a strange thing happened. When we were heading out of the park, we saw a car that was traveling on the opposite side toward us. Then the car turned right, it was a sedan, we thought there was a road right there. And when we got to the section where that car turned, 
We didn't see any road, but only high grass and big trees. I asked my girlfriend, did you see that red car just now? I thought it turned right around here. She said, I saw a car too, but it was white, wasn't it? We look at each other's for a few seconds and quickly left that area. That was weird. Visiting a friend in California. My last night there and we're talking about how I hadn't seen any redwoods. So we hop in the car at 11 o'clock at night and head off to some forest trail that he knows. We get there and there is a gate with a sign on it which we don't read. He's carrying his toy poodle. We walk a little ways, but the trees aren't that big. He says they get bigger further in and sparks up a joint and we keep walking. Maybe a half mile in we hear the loudest scream I have ever heard. We stop and looked at each other and my friend says, I think someone just got murdered. We stood there for a few minutes to see if we heard anything else, and then we heard it again. It seemed to be closer, but it was tough to tell as it was echoing. Still no clue what it is, but we decide we should probably get out of there. Didn't really think much of it afterwards until I read an article about a mountain lion stalking someone, and there was audio of the sound mountain lions make. I send the link to my friend saying I think we are lucky to be alive. He laughs and says, You know I was up that way recently and noticed that the sign on the gate is a warning for mountain lions in the area. I was fishing in this little pond in the woods near my buddy's house. I heard a growling from across the water, but it was a really deep growl. I look up and I saw what can only be described as a Sasquatch. It was looking right at me from across the lake, which is about 100 feet away. Then it dropped on its belly and, I want to say, crawled away because that was the motion. But it was super fast. Reminded me of a liquor from Resident Evil. I literally peed my pants and whimpered a little and was in shock for a moment. I never told a soul because who would believe me? This happened to my grandfather years ago. I guess he was out hunting and walking around in some woods, maybe five miles from a main road near where my family settled north of Pittsburgh. He said that he started seeing these burnt out candles and started picking them up for some reason. He followed them for like a 100 yards, and at the very end, there was a circle of black candles with a hole in the ground that looked to be a grave. He brought all the candles home and my grandma yelled at him, and made him throw them away. I was canoeing into my hunting area a few years back. Came around a bend and saw some teenagers, maybe 20-year-olds walking down the train tracks. I waved hello and they proceeded to shoot a couple bullets in the river 40 yards in front and behind my boat. I have never been so angry in my whole life. I thought about going ashore downstream and sneaking up behind them to let a few bullets rip myself, but was afraid I might accidentally kill someone. This happened about two years ago on October 27th. I do a lot of hiking and I wanted to share with you all what is without a doubt one of the strangest things that I have experienced while hiking. While on the way back from the summit of Mount San Jacinto in California, a fairly popular trail, 
Just as day was changing over to dusk about four miles and twenty vertical feet, a good two, three-hour hike from the tram, we spotted a woman dressed in all-black flapper attire with the exception of a white scarf. This woman was in dress shoes and carrying a very nice beaded purse. She was walking very intently and at a hurried pace up the mountain. If you're familiar with the hike, it's at the top of the Wellman Divide. Nearly without words I asked her if she was lost, to which she replied. I'm on the trail errant I. Her face looked gray and her lips were sort of blue, it was pretty cold outside. So as quickly as she had passed us she was gone. My friend and myself looked at each other like, now we have seen everything. After conversations with other hikers on the way down that had also seen her, I was kiddingly remarking that I was sure we had seen some sort of ghost. Looking for a lost love much like the mysterious lady in black story folklore. It was a truly bizarre experience. About an hour later we were resting at Round Valley and we saw her again. Keep in mind this is literally in the middle of the forest at 9,000 feet elevation. A good two hours hike from anything and the temps were around 35 degrees. The fact that is so close to Halloween was not lost on me either. At any rate, I make no claims of the supernatural, but I'm not ruling it out. But I thought everyone might enjoy the story and the pictures of this truly strange encounter. I worked offshore for five years as an ROV pilot, the robots that go underwater. I have seen some odd things. Worked on a job where the field we were working on has barrels at bottom of ocean. We were told we couldn't go near these with a robot. Apparently these were dumped by the US government during Cold War era. Who knows what was in those barrels? I've seen all kinds of rare creatures, including exclusive six-gill sharks. One of the cooler things I saw was an eel eating another eel the exact same size. Imagine a snake underwater eating another snake exact same size. That was pretty cool because it looked like the eel detached its jaw like a snake and everything. Also has seen giant bluefin tuna. Tuna in general can be anywhere from surface to a couple thousand feet down. The ability to dive like that still amazes me. I worked in the oil spill in the Gulf. To see oil just pour out like that is something we have all seen, but to be there and realize that's just below you a mile below is something else. For me, it was crazy to see that many robots underwater at same time as you have usually max four two vessels, but rarely. It was chaotic as heck. The vessels out there were so close we could almost just have conversations with people by shouting, which is very rare. One of the crazy things I won't forget is two vessels were flaring off, literally just burning off oil, and I could feel the heat from their vessel on the one I was. I have whole stories I could talk about that really, but to be part of something that was that huge, even though it wasn't a good thing in our history, I can still say I was part of it and be proud to stop the spill. In January 1965, a group of musicians, including Jimi Hendrix driving back to Manhattan, were stranded in a blizzard and had gotten stuck in a heavy drift that reached the hood of their vehicle. It was bitter cold. Unexpectedly, the road ahead of them suddenly lit up as a bright phosphorescent object, cone-shaped like a capsule, landed in the snow about 100 feet up ahead. It stood on a tripod landing gear. 
Before any of the stunned occupants of the vehicle could move, a door opened on the side of the craft and an entity stepped out. He stood eight feet tall, his skin was yellowish, and instead of eyes, the creature had slits. His forehead came to a point, and his head ran straight to his chest, leaving the impression that he had no neck. The being proceeded to float to the ground and glided towards the trapped occupants of the van. The snow melted in the wake of the creature. His body seemed to generate tremendous heat, so much so that as it came across a small rise, the snow disappeared around in all directions. In a matter of what seemed like seconds, the being came over to the right-hand side of the van, where Hendrix sat, and looked right through the window. According to other witnesses at the scene, the creature seemed to be communicating telepathically with Hendrix. Immediately, the interior of their vehicle began to heat up. The heat coming from the being evaporated the snow enough to free their imprisoned van. The being glided behind the van and the snowdrift by now had completely vanished. Turning the ignition, the driver gunned the engine and drove away at high speed. As they looked back, they could see the road filling in with snow again. The object was at the same instant lifting off like a rocket from a launching pad. When a freak storm lashed the Gulf of Lyon and the inland villages were battered by winds of ferocious force, I was awakened by an insistent tapping on the window of my downstairs bedroom. At first, I dismissed it as the wind wrapping a twig onto the glass, but finally I got up and went to the door with a lantern. A strange sight met my eyes. In the doorway stood a boy, aged about ten, wrapped in a piece of sacking. His hair was long and yellow, quite unlike that of the local boys, and his face almost luminously pale. He appeared to have no clothes apart from the sack, and as he stretched out his arms towards the light, I noticed that there were only three fingers on each of his long, slender hands. I stood there uncertain of what to do until my wife's voice roused me into action. She had come from the bedroom, taken one look at the strange tableau, and told me to bring the child into the house. She roused the fire in the kitchen, placed the shivering boy before it, and covered him with a blanket. He slept the night on a mattress in front of the fire. In the morning, my wife and I found him some clothes belonging to our oldest son, but it was soon apparent that he didn't know how to put them on. At first, I took him for some dumb waif, a simpleton, but it soon became apparent that he could speak, albeit in a language we had never heard before. Even the most commonplace things appeared to astonish him. He was bewildered by a cup containing warm milk and had to be shown how to drink from it. A knife and fork were complete mysteries to him. When a farm cat strolled through the door, the boy backed away, apparently in fright. My wife and I, totally bemused by our uninvited guest, told the story to the village priest, Father René Mouville, a retired Lyons University professor who had entered the priesthood at the age of 50. Once Father Mouville met the boy, he knew there was no obvious solution. The child was quite unlike any human he had seen before. Even the construction of his body seemed exceptional. His hips were extremely narrow, and his rib cage almost an inverted V-shape, quite the opposite of a normal chest structure. Just looking at those delicate, three-fingered hands made the priest feel a strange sense of foreboding. The next day, he took the child back to his house to be cared for by his housekeeper. He soon found that the boy had a fantastic intelligence. 
Unable to communicate by any form of language, Father Mouville began by drawing simple diagrams of everyday objects, which received no response. Then one day he wrote down a series of numbers in the form of clustered dots. Immediately, the boy took the paper and pencil and began writing dots at high speed. When he passed back the paper, Father Mouville found that he had worked out the cube root and square roots of all the groups of numbers. As the weeks passed, my confidence grew. I began to master simple words and to go out with Father Mouville on his rounds. I began to be accepted in the village as almost ordinary instead of a curiosity. Basic physical phenomena fascinated me. I would sit for hours by moving water or watching birds in flight and the movement of clouds. It was as though I had never seen such things before. Then, after Christmas 19, I became ill. At first, the symptoms seemed to be those of a heavy cold, and after a few weeks, I seemed to have recovered. But by February, I was sick again, this time with a high fever and a deathly pallor. A doctor was sent for and confessed himself mystified. My heart was the slowest he had ever heard, almost half the speed of a normal human. I should be taken to a hospital, but in my condition, such a journey could well have been fatal. So the boy who came from nowhere became weaker, and on the second week of March, I died and was buried under an ash tree in the graveyard of St. Mayand. I am from Waterville, Maine. Back in the late summer, early fall of 1971, I was newly married and living in Killeen, Texas with my husband who was in the army. We had a small duplex apartment in Killeen. One night he had duty and I was home alone in bed around 3 a.m. in the morning. I woke up suddenly and saw a black figure standing at the bottom of my bed. It was eight or nine feet tall and had huge big black wings and red eyes. I closed my eyes and opened them again and it had moved closer to me on the right side of my bed. I couldn't scream. It was as if I was frozen in fear. I covered my head in the blankets. I was so afraid. About five minutes. Later I looked and it was gone. It gave me a horrible feeling and I prayed never to see it again. Shortly after this event, I came back to Maine as I was way too frightened to ever stay alone at night when he had duty. I told my mom I had seen a huge black angel that night and she was glad I came home as that didn't sound good. I had never heard of the Mothman, but a few years later I came across an article and a drawing of one. Even before I read the article, I said, wow, that is exactly what I saw in Texas. It didn't have a noticeable neck and its face was like hooded, its wings tucked in on its side, but you could tell they were very large. It was totally black except for the eyes were round, large and red. I still think of this thing with fear. Personally, do you have any idea what it is? I'm 57 now and I am still searching for an answer. P.S. The apartment I lived in had a well in the entranceway that always gave me the creeps. A cistern, I believe it is called. Just a flat rock covered it, and it still had water in it. I couldn't see the water, but I heard the plop when I dropped a rock in it. This probably has nothing to do with any of this, but felt I should tell you anyways. My cousin did a lot of forest surveying in some pretty remote areas in British Columbia, Canada. 
He and a colleague were driving down an old logging road when a wit van passed them going the opposite direction. He said it was odd to see someone way out there, but not unheard of as hunters do use these roads. They went a few more miles down the road, got out, and started doing some work and ended up finding a dead body with no head or hands, freshly dumped as it wasn't decayed. They had to go back the same direction as the van. Luckily, they never crossed paths. They reported it to the RCMP and was told it was most likely biker gang-related hit. I live a lot of my life in seclusion, though I spend a lot of time in the city as well. I tend to take the creepiest things with me to my home, and I've amassed a great collection of skulls and bones and various other items of morbidity. A few things I've experienced that might be of interest. Deep in the woods, I find a hole dug about three feet down. Around it, someone had constructed a rudimentary tippy out of shipping pallets, reinforced with greased rope and branches. A tarp was tangled over it, blown up by the wind. I peered in and found it recently lived in, freshly stirred dirt at the bottom. I lit the floor of the place with a flashlight and found a collection of undergarments belonging to young girls, all bright colors and cartoon characters, buried beneath a scree of dirt, rocks, and leaves. A duffel bag of loot was tucked in the back, mostly vitamin packets and detritus. Empty liquor bottles. A man's bottoming out point, miles from civilization. The other place was near the grain silos, repurposed by the Salvation Army as an apartment complex for vagrants and mental patients. There was an old oil company, long abandoned and hollowed out just over a set of train tracks and through a thicket of shrub grass. It was midnight or later and I was alone. Being closer to civilization, I did not want to attract attention. I made my way in the dark, starlight and moonlight offered me a little guidance, though I was mostly beneath an overpass. I heard a rustling in the distance. I was too far in city for this to be a deer and it sounded bigger than a turkey, which can be found basically anywhere. I had my knife out, and I stepped closer to the origin of the sounds. I heard a groaning, a muttering, gurgling sound. A growling. It was growing louder, and I was starting to make out syllables. Not speech, per se, not words, but differentiated syllables. Just as the growling reached its zenith, I looked up and saw a man on a bike, pedaling down the sidewalk on the overpass above me. He had headphones on and he was listening to death metal and growling along with the vocals. I was overcome with relief, but also awash with dread, because now I know why people don't talk to me when I'm on campus, because I do that exact same thing. I've also found some really strange signs out in the middle of nowhere. From memory, I can say that my two favorites are Uncle Bart Will F You Up, and outside an old slaughterhouse in block printed scrawl. Cattle operation trailer closed. Please do not dump. You will be seen. I'm sure I can think of more if anyone is interested. I'm a weird dude. I've lived in Lake Charles, born and raised. But in 2004, I moved to Alaska to be a youth pastor for a church. I was living in Seward and was invited to come and speak at a church in Fairbanks about a nine-hour drive. I'm from the South, not used to. I got there in January, this was in February. 
I took out on this trip by myself and had been given tips. This is where you want to stop. This is where you don't want to stop. Gas is real expensive here. Things like that. So I got out just north of Anchorage, north of Wasilla, up in that part of the country. There are people who have said that you stop and pick up hitchhikers. It's just kind of a thing. You don't really do it in Louisiana. Here it's life and death. If you see somebody on the road, you stop. So I saw a man walking north on the road and I pulled over. He got in the truck and I remember, just remember distinctly, he had a bit of a body odor smell. He smelled like a campfire. He was unshaven. His name, he told me, was Alex. He spoke with a Russian accent and he said he was a mountain climber and he said his favorite place on earth was the top of Mount Everest and that he was in Alaska to climb Mount McKinley. So he was on his way to Denali Park. He rode with me in the car for about two and a half hours, asking me about why I was there, about my calling and feel on my life, those types of things with me. He gave me tips about driving on the ice, told me not to do things that would have caused error. We came to a town called Trapper Creek. I don't know if you are familiar with it. I was not going to get gas there. It was one of the places I was told not to get gas there because the prices will kill you there. He said, you'll want to stop here because the weather is too bad. Denali is going to be closed, and so I said, okay. He had been in the car for two and a half hours. We talked extensively about Everest and his plan to see the top of Mount McKinley. Well, we stopped. I got out, started fueling the car. He grabbed his small backpack that he had and walked into. I saw him walk into the gas station. The little junction station had a little cafe in it. He walked through the doors. When I finished filling up, I went in to use the restroom, pay and grab a bite. I asked the clerk, I said, where's the man that just walked in? And she looked at me and said, you're the only one that has been here for hours. I said, no, a man just walked through these doors. We spent 20 minutes walking around the back of the building. We followed the tracks, the two sets of tracks back to the truck. He was nowhere to be found. There was icy wetness where he had been sitting in the truck. The truck still smelled like him, so at that point, I've chalked it up to, was it a ghost or was it an angel? I don't know what. I wouldn't have had enough gas. And when I got to Denali, that gas station was indeed closed.